right. Well, let's go ahead and get started this evening. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, get into our lesson in First John. Uh, we're going to pick up with uh, verse 8. We had talked about uh, fellowship um, uh, a few weeks ago and uh, talking about specifically um, what we need to do as believers uh, in, to ensure fellowship with the Lord, to ensure fellowship uh, with each other. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll pick up uh, talking uh, about uh, probably one of the more familiar verses that we know in Scripture, 1 John 1, 9, uh, talking about forgiveness and uh, God's faithfulness um, and uh, uh, very clearly understanding uh, a, a principle that uh, John is trying to, to communicate about uh, the way that we do things and how... Uh, how it is perceived by God, and uh, we'll get to that, uh, Lord willing, tonight. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get uh, started for the evening. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time you've given to us. I thank you again that we have this opportunity to study your word. I pray that as we endeavor to please you and endeavor to uh, worship you this evening, that we would uh, understand uh, what it is you, you're teaching us and uh, the the implications uh, about sin in our life, uh, the implications of the denial of sin, and that, Lord, we would truly have that fellowship that is founded in truth and in light. I thank you again for those that are here, and I pray, Lord, you would uh, just speak to each one of us and uh, that the time would be pleasing and honoring unto you. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in First John chapter 1, uh, we had uh, kind of talked a little bit, and, you know, just to get some background a little bit here. In verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, we talked a little bit about what uh, fellowship is and how there has to be that agreeance of purpose and um, if you will, uh, the core agreeance of two or more individuals coming together as fellows and, uh, you know, saw some of the things that God talked about as fellows and uh, Paul and uh, the fellowship that we have here. Uh, he makes it pretty clear, obviously, that if uh, we, we, we say that we have fellowship with God, but we're uh, not in the right area, we're, we're in that dark darkness, not walking in that light, uh, we are lying. And, uh, you know, he, Paul makes, or excuse me, John makes it pretty clear here. Uh, John is, um, a little bit uh, softer than his brother James when it comes to, uh, delivering messages, but he does get straight to the point here. And, uh, getting straight to the point, he does make it very, uh, evident that, uh, if we are going to say one thing and do something else, uh, we are liars. Um, that, that's essentially what we're doing is, uh, we are, we, we are being inconsistent in our walk. We're being inconsistent with what's coming out of our mouth. Our heart, you know, is, is, is if you will, divided. There's a, there, there's a problem that's there. And again, it, it has to do with the receipt of truth. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting to note that over in the book of Ephesians chapter four, that God talks about how truth is to be delivered. It says truth in love, um, meaning that uh, when truth is being delivered, there has to be uh, a, a care component of it. The same is true when we're looking at this passage here, as he's talking about one of the main themes of the book is, is love and uh, loving the Lord and uh, truly uh, desiring him um, over everything else. Um, we, we, we have to receive that truth. We can't say that we love God and then turn around and say that we do not, uh, uh, you know, believe his word that, 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 that doesn't work. Um, th- th- there is a, uh, disparity there. There is a, uh, um, some sort of a conflict that exists. We can't go around saying, hey, you know, uh, I, I truly uh, love God and not love the believers. Again, there's a disparity. There's, there's a conflict that exists. Um, and, God, and God's using John here to point this out. Because if you really think about it, John was privy to a lot of things. 
Uh, interestingly enough, John had some special access to the courts. Somehow John knew somebody that he was able to get in to the courts and bring Peter in with him at the, 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 the trial of Christ. And, you know, that's stuff that was dealing with high priests and the Pharisees and all of those individuals, Pilate getting drug in there, getting involved in all of that. And, and we very clearly see that John knew, obviously, somebody or something and had a way of getting in there and doing that and, and, and doing these things. Because if you look at the book of John and the gospel of John, you'll see that there are some very, if you will, firm passages that, that that records Jesus talking with the Pharisees. I mean, John chapter 8, uh, when he's talking with the Pharisees and he just flat out says, you're of your father the devil. And he gets right to the point of the matter uh, after the, you know, the, the banter back and forth where they're calling him all sorts of things. And he just gets straight to the issue of that they had, if you will, a devilish mindset, a satanic mindset. And, uh, you know, obviously that didn't go over very well with them. Uh, chapter five also deals with some of those issues in the book of John, where he, he basically says, you don't believe the word of God in verse 38, specifically saying, you don't believe the word of God and you don't believe, uh, uh, the, uh, that, uh, the one that God sent. And that was a big issue, uh, because they did struggle. They didn't believe, uh, uh, uh the prophets as, um, he points out, he says, you know, you killed all of them. He, he says, you, you didn't believe John the Baptist. You, you know, you ridiculed and then eventually killed him. And they didn't believe Jesus Christ. So the, therein is, is the problem because those Pharisees still said, well, we love God. We love God. We love God. You, 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 you talk to a, uh, a, a Jew today that is a practicing Judaism. They will say, yes, we love God. We love God. But they reject Jesus Christ. And the issue when Jesus Christ is God himself, and this is what the, the book of First John does point out, is that Jesus Christ is God, and the Gospel of John also points that out, that if you don't love Christ, you can't love God. That becomes the issue, the problem. What are you going to do with Jesus? I mean, that's what it comes down to when it comes to salvation. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Because inevitably you go out, you witness, you talk to people, and what do, you, what do you hear people say? Well, I've always believed in God. That does not mean a thing, okay? Just clarify, that does not mean that they are saved at all. Well, you know, I, I've always grown up in church. That doesn't mean a thing. Well, I've been baptized. Well, that doesn't mean a thing either. Well, you know, I've done this and I've done that. Well, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Well, you know, I haven't done that, but, you know, I've done all these other things. No, it's about Jesus. And that's what people don't understand. This is the word of God, the word that is described, if you will, over in John chapter 1. Him being the word of God, a rejection of the word of God is a rejection of Jesus Christ. And to reject Jesus Christ is to reject his word. And that, that, that is one of the biggest issues that John is getting at here as we kind of progress through the, the, the rest of this book. But as he says here in verse seven, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And we talked about how that brings us together. That, that, that bond of fellowship is because of Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. As is, as that's his title that we find, not only do we find him referred to as the Word in John chapter 1, we find him referred to as the Light with a capital L. And he very clearly makes this known that light comes from him. There is no other light source than Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he's referred to as the Son, S-U-N, in Scripture. You know, here we have all these artificial lights and things of that nature. Uh, and, and yes, we have the, the, the sun in the sky. But if you go over to Genesis chapter one, did you ever notice that, that, that before, G, uh, before God created, uh, the sun and the moon, what did he say? The very first thing he said, let there be light. Where did that light come from? 
Him. Him alone. Well, where is the light source? God. People have a hard time, you know, kind of, if you will, grasping that and the importance of light. Uh, light is a, is a very important thing. Without light, things are not accomplished. In day-to-day activity, if there is no light, nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. I've been in uh, office buildings uh, that uh, all of a sudden there's a power outage, doesn't have generators or something of that nature, and everything just goes, everything turns off and everything's dark. Complete total darkness, no generators coming on to power things, uh, and, and, and it's just like, okay, you've got to find your way to the door. Hope the batteries and the exit signs are working, you know, stuff like that. You can figure out how to get out of there. But the idea and the concept is, is if we are in that light, meaning that we are in the light of the word of God, which is a light and a lamp as it is described, and we are, uh, you know, seeking that, there is going to be a fellowship one with another. When we deviate outside of light, when we start messing with things that are not light-bearing, from according to Scripture, we are working in darkness. And we can't have that fellowship. You can't have a fellowship of somebody that's saying, I love the Lord and I'm doing what's right, and somebody else coming along saying, uh, yeah, I understand that, but I still love doing the things of the flesh, and I'm still going to do these things that are sinful and ungodly. The Bible talks about that. You know, there, 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 there's something that I'm kind of kicking around that deals with this whole issue and idea of what courtship is. You know, we've got uh, some children that are growing up and they're, they, they, you know, they're, they're starting to realize, hey, uh, these individuals might get married and so on and so forth. And, and, uh, that happens. And, uh, you know, you, you need to make sure that, 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 that relationship that's progressing is one that is built on Christ. Because if it's not built on Christ and it's just built on lust and things of that nature, all that can change in a heartbeat. All that can change in a heartbeat. People try to choose their soulmates today based on their compatibility. Well, we all like the same things and so on and so forth. Well, what happens if they don't like the same thing 30 years down the road? Do you like the same things that you used to like 20 years ago? Things change, right? Maybe you got sick of corn dogs. And that's what brought you two together is, you know, you, you, you're staring at each other over a corn dog and realized that that was your, you know, your soulmate for life. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of them says, I hate corn dogs. You know, the whole world falls apart. I use that, you know, kind of in jest to kind of, you know, kind of point out the ridiculous nature of it. But that's what the world bases their stuff off of. And then we wonder why divorce rates are so high. And we wonder why people don't even want to get married anymore. Because they're afraid of that. There's a fear that's there. I don't want to get married because then I don't want to have to get a divorce. Well, I don't want it to affect my credit score. Yeah, that's the most important thing in the world is your credit score, right? Those three little numbers. But you understand that God wants us to fellowship together and be together. So what has to be present? Light, truth, and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Those things are not present. We've got a problem. Interestingly enough, where do we find those three? Well, Jesus Christ is what? The light. Jesus Christ is the word, and Jesus Christ said, thy word is what? Truth. So he's saying he's truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. And we also find that it's his shed blood by which we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So what is John saying here? It's all about Christ. That is the fellowship that we have with believers. 
Now, as we get down here a little bit further into verse 8, and this is where we'll get to the main subject that we're talking about tonight, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, let's understand something here. We know what the Bible says about sin. You know, we're believers that have been, uh, you know, been saved for more than a minute, as I say. So we understand that there is a concept that God is putting out here in this scripture where we are denying something that is a scriptural proven fact. And this is what it comes down to, is people rejecting the word of God. Let's actually turn there. Turn to John chapter 5. I want, I want you to see this. This is this is an important, if you will, a little bit of a parallel passage. But John chapter uh, 5, <clears throat> John chapter 5, <clears throat> and in John chapter 5, um, he, 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 in verse 38, Jesus Christ is, is speaking here. Um, and, and you know, he, he's talking to, to Jews that want to kill him in verse 38. He says, and ye have not his word talking about God's word abiding in you. Ye have not God's, you, you know, his word abiding in you for whom he hath sent. You believe not him. You believe not. Makes it very clear that, that if 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 they were going to say that they have truly received God's word, they would have believed Jesus Christ. John, again, we're, we're getting to the, the the material of the matter of if we are going to say something that we are associated with God, that we believe God, that we love God, then our actions and our words are going to show it. If they're not showing it, then we have a problem. And this is where John's getting to. We have a problem. So who he's writing this to are individuals that are having a problem. And he's helping them identify the problem and rectify the problem at the same time. In verse 39, I love this verse. It's just right there. I have to to read this one where he says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think... Ye have eternal life, and they are uh, they which testify of me. He tells them, go back to the word, read it again. You think you've got eternal life? The eternal life comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. And he says that eternal life is through me, is what he's getting at here. He says, go back and search the scriptures, and you'll find it. You'll find it. God is again pointing them back to his word, which he has given. And again, also understand, they didn't have the, the New Testament rolling around then. They had the Old Testament. And it probably wasn't completely put together the same way ours is. They were packing around scrolls and things. We begin to think about this when it comes to comes to this issue of we say we're we're saying one thing, but our actions are showing something else. Those forms of hypocrisy. Going back over there to to to, to verse eight of First John, he says, "If we say we have no sin." Now here again, going back to the book of James that we're looking at on Wednesday night, and we're in James chapter 3 talking about words, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, when we start talking about words, about things that come out of our mouth. And and I'll say this, sometimes we say things that aren't true. We can't deny the fact that we have sin. That we have a sin issue. We can't deny that fact. 
The scripture makes it clear. He makes it, he makes it really clear here, uh, in, in, in verse, verse one, and just kind of getting a little bit ahead of chapter two. Look at what he says here. He says, my little children, these things are right unto you that you sin not. He's writing to believers for the purpose that they would refrain from sin. There are doctrinal principles out there, specifically the ones of Calvinism or Reformed theology, that basically say, God has chosen you before the world began that you were going to be saved and that, you know, maybe the person next to you is going to go to hell. And they have, there's no say about it. You, you, you're going to get saved no matter what and that person's going to go to hell no matter what. There's no free will. There's no choice in the matter. And that's not what the Bible says, but that's what they believe. And they take a few verses out of context and twist the whole idea and the words and the topics of predestination, election, um, and uh, uh, ordination and all of that. They just like totally twist it and, 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 if you will, abuse the word of God, in my opinion. But it gets worse. Not only would that lead to a mentality of, well, it doesn't really matter then if you witnessed anybody because they're going to get saved regardless, Right. So witnessing just goes out the window. But furthermore, they believe as as and, and they refer to it as the tulip, and each one of those has a certain mean t meaning like total depravity. Total depravity. Uh, U is um, uh, oh, I can't even remember anymore. But it goes through the whole thing. Uh, irresistible grace. The U is, uh, again, I can't remember what it is now. It's just escaping me. The L is limited atonement and so on and so forth. The, the P is the perseverance of the saints, which basically means that now that you're saved, you never can sin ever again. Man, yeah. I, I, I really honestly, that would be a fantastic thing, wouldn't it? You talk about having a witness and a testimony for Jesus Christ. Man, if we never sinned, so you confront one of them and they do something wrong, like you hear them say a curse word or, you know, they do something that they're not supposed to do. And you, you ask, well, what are you doing that? And they're like, well, that, that's sin. And they're like, oh, no, that's not a sin. That's a mistake. No, let's stop with the, the semantic word games. It's sin. Whether you want to call it sin, iniquity, transgression, error, fault, whatever it may be. Let's not just call it a mistake and say that we don't have any sin anymore. We still need to deal with that. Romans 7 makes that clear, that we have a struggle that goes on in our mind about doing what is God's will and doing what is our will. Battling the fleshly desires and battling what should be the desires of the Spirit. Those are things that that happen in, you know, every single day. Of our life. None of us here are exempt from that. But here he's saying this denying has some pretty serious implications. To say that that, that we have no sin, he says what? We deceive ourselves. Remember what God said to uh, the church over there at Laodicea? Turn to Revelation chapter uh, 3. Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3, and, uh, and just again to point this out. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, God says about that church, he says, I know thy works. Well, yeah, absolutely he does. That thou art neither cold nor hot, I wert thou, uh, I wert, would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. It's a disgusting thing. You ever had something that you put in your mouth that just wasn't the right temperature? I, I've had things that are texture wise that I'm just like, bleh. You know, it goes flying out, things like that. But sometimes when you're, you know, you're eating something, let's put it this way. When you, when somebody cooks you chicken and you bite into it and the outside's somewhat warm and the inside is still cold and it's got that texture, 
guess what's happening? Yeah, that dude's getting launched. And I'm going to go drink a gallon of Lestrade to try to kill whatever it is, right? You know, you just, you're like, no, I don't want salmonella or listeria or any of those things. Those are all nasty diseases. Uh, um, and, and well, you, you, you'll regret ever having eaten, eaten or looked at a chicken. But he makes it clear here that this is what he knows about their works. Because here's what happened. They deceived themselves. In verse 17, because thou sayest, just like they said over there, as John's pointing out, when somebody says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. I will tell you this. When it comes to a physical things, you know, Really, honestly, I don't think there's anybody in here that has need of anything. We, we, we live in the Western world. We're all blessed. We're considered rich. Okay? We've got all those things. But the problem was, is they were so focused on those things, that they lost sight of what was really important. And he says, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind, and naked. And he makes it very, very, very clear here. The problem with this church is they had nine more for the physical than they had for the spiritual. And he goes on a little bit further where he says, you know, in, in verse uh, 18, I counsel thee to buy of me uh, gold to try it in the fire. He's not telling them to go buy real gold, okay? He's not giving them financial advice here. He's not, he, he, he's not giving Dave Ramsey's, well, you need to have this amount and you're on your savings, blah, blah, blah. No, he's not doing any of that, okay? He's talking about gold. When you're talking about gold, you're talking about the glory of God. And I'll tell you, nothing comes out more glorious than when you go through the fire and God gets the glory for it. That shines because it's God. But he says that thou mayest be rich. That's what makes you rich. God's riches, not yours. And he says, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Now, I'm just going to make a real quick note here. That verse right there, don't let somebody take you over there and say, well, if you did not do well at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be walking around during the millennial reign naked, and you're going to be in shame for a thousand years. Don't listen to that. That's not what that verse said. You gotta understand who this is talking to. You gotta understand what this is about. But I'm pointing this out is that people can deceive themselves. Okay? Well, let's just make it clear. There isn't gonna be a thousand years of shame because, you know, you forgot to give somebody a track at Olive Garden. Okay? We've gotta make sure we understand those principles. I've heard people preach that way. But we've got to understand what God says about that. And God makes it pretty clear what he says over in 1 Corinthians 3. So we've got to make sure we're putting the right thing at the right place at the right time and applying it to the right people. But what we do find is regardless of the age, regardless of whatever dispensation, I will tell you this, people deceive themselves. The nation of Israel did that. People in the body of Christ do that. Believer, unbelievers do that every single day. And it's a shame when, when somebody comes along and says, well, I have got no sin. I'm perfect and pure. I haven't sinned. You're like, there can't actually be people around there that are, that, that do that and that say that. I have been around them and I have heard them say it come out of their mouths. Okay. I understand that our sin is covered under the blood. But we still sin. Let's just be honest. Again, 
we're going to deceive ourselves if we don't look at this verse and clearly understand what he's saying here. And it gets it more to the, the point in verse 8 where he says, and the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. We haven't taken the word of God and hidden it in our hearts. We haven't gone through and read, you know, just as he said over there in John chapter 5. That, that that word isn't abiding in us. Because what we're going to know and what we're going to understand is, is this principle. If I want to sin less and make sure that I don't have sin in my life, I need to obviously use more of the word of God and know more of his will so that I'm doing what God tells me to do, those good works that I'm ordained unto, to avoid doing the sinful things. It's hard to do those things that are good and do sin at the same time. Now, I say it's hard, but it's not impossible because I know people that do good things for the wrong reasons. Then again, enter in what we're talking about, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. What was your intent behind it? What was the motivation behind it? What sort is it? Was it for you or was it for God? And we look at this here and he makes it very clear because this is what happens. You know, when a person begins to deny that they have a sin issue or a sin problem, there creates a hardness of heart. There creates a hardness of heart. And when that hardness of heart occurs, it's going to be a hardness towards God and it's going to be a hardness towards saints. The fellowship. Somebody that struggles with sin is going to struggle being around believers. It's going to make them uncomfortable. Why? Because you don't have really congruent spirits going on. You ever been around somebody like that? Get next to somebody and all of a sudden you get that weird vibe. Their mojo isn't right. <laughs> we, we, we have all, you know, these weird terms to just, no, no, it's the spirits are not in agreement. It's, it's hard to, 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 to get around an unbeliever and try to have an agreement of spirit. Yeah. And what winds up happening is we, 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 we get into this issue of somebody is denying they've got a sin problem. Somebody's denying the fact that there's an issue in their life that they need to get resolved, corrected. That they need to let God come in and purge out of their life. You realize that was the problem with the nation of Israel? They were denying they had a sin problem. And God said, no, I need to purge you. And the purging that takes place that we refer to as the great tribulation ain't going to be pretty. Praise God, we're not going to be here for that. Yeah, somebody wants to plan around being around for that? (laughs) No, thank you. But what we see here is that's what it leads to. And in the context of this chapter that we just saw this verse placed in, in chapter 1, that denial of sin is going to affect the fellowship with God and with the brethren. And there's going to be discord. There's going to be an issue that comes up. You know what one of the biggest binding agents is for believers? And we've talked about it. We, we, we see that, that, that charity is called the bond of perfectness, right? We're supposed to endeavor to keep that unity in the spirit, right? You know what really binds us together? The same truth. The same truth. It's hard to have one person say, well, this is the truth according to Ken Stewart, and I'm going to disagree with the truth according to such and such. But yet we're on the same page. No, you're not. No, you're not. 
The truth of the matter is what's in the Word of God. If it doesn't align with the Word of God, then we've got a problem. Now, again, people need to study to sh- study to show thyself approved unto God, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. They, they need to understand those things, how that all works out. But it is really difficult to have fellowship with somebody that has a totally different viewpoint on sin. It's hard to have a, a fellowship with an individual that sits there and says, oh, hey, I've got liberty in Christ. I can do whatever I want because, praise God, everything's under the blood. And they're living like the devil. And you're like, wait a second, hold on. How does that please God? How is that even remotely near pleasing God? Well, it's not. It's contrary to him. It's contrary to his spirit. Because it's truth that we know we have sin. That's a binding agent for, 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 for saints. Why? Because at some point in time, before you trusted Christ as your savior, before I trusted Christ as my savior, you know what we all were? Sinners. God calls us saints now because of his shed blood. Praise God for that. But as Paul points out, such were some of you. Were. Past tense. But here we are now as believers that come together, as saints, as children of God, children of light, we're, we're, we're binded together and we're binding ourselves together by the same truths and principles of the word of God. I was once a sinner saved by grace. Pardon I received from my Lord. We sing that, right? That's a lot of scriptural doctrine. You don't get a lot of that doctrine today in some of those, you know, contemporary songs. It's more along the lines of, ah, ah, ah. You're like, what are you even saying? <laughs> that, the, the, those are good scriptural doctrinal principles that we find that, that, that we're singing about. That's what we once were. I mean, we know what the Bible says. I mean, Romans 14, excuse me, not Romans 14, uh, uh, Psalms chapter 14 and Psalms chapter 51 both say the same thing. They talk about there is none good, no, not one. Fool said in his heart, there is no God. We have principles that we see throughout scripture like that. We find over in Romans chapter 3, for all of sin come short of the glory of God, Right? We understand that concept. For all have sinned. We've all committed that act that has separated us from God. But praise God for the act upon the cross that reconciles us and brings us together. And that's what he talks about when he starts talking about in chapter 2, verse 2, where he is the propitiation for our sins. He satisfied that wrath. He satisfied that anger. He's appeased it because of the sacrifice and the payment that was made, the redemption for us. And we see here, you know, it makes it clear, and a lot of times people will gravitate towards those things. And I understand that, you know, they always go back to Jeremiah 17 and again talking about the how the heart is desperately wicked and things of that nature. But we've got to understand there's a concept. There's going to be those extremes and then there's going to be those things that we should be doing, which is, Fulfilling the word of God, fulfilling the will of God, doing those things to please him and, and, and glorify him. Those are things that we should be desiring to do. And we can have those desires as scripture talks about. It comes down to the choice. And a person that says, I don't have any sin, doesn't believe what God says. They don't believe the truth. You ever had people attest to something that they think is true that you flat out know is 100% wrong? I've seen it time and time again. But therein lies the problem. 
people are unwilling to listen to the truth and unwilling to let the truth work in their hearts. And the end result is it causes a discord, a break, a fracture. But here's the amazing thing about this. As John points out, going back over to 1 John chapter 1, as John points all of this out, he says in, in, in one verse that is, is, should be very familiar to all of us, where he says very clearly, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, now, now pulling that verse out and, and giving that as, as, as part of a salvation plan and things of that nature, we do that frequently. We, we, we talk about it in the, when in the form of forgiveness, uh, in the forgiveness that we should receive from the Lord. But in the context of this passage, it makes it pretty clear here that he's saying we need to confess our sins, not deny them. Yeah. That's the problem. We don't go to the Lord and say, not nearly enough and say, Lord, man, I made a big fat mess today because I was involved in sin. But my pride got in the way. My, 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 my mouth shot off when I shouldn't have. I did something stupid. Lord, please forgive me. And look, I will tell you this. You it, it, don't be like Paul before he was Paul kicking against the pricks. Because you know what that means? Paul knew and the Holy Spirit kept going, you know Paul, you know or well, actually Saul at the time, you know Saul, you know that if Jesus Christ is true, you know what he says is right. You know, you know, you know. Because what did Paul do? Paul knew the scriptures. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was up there. He learned at the feet of Gamaliel. Who was interestingly enough said, maybe we shouldn't mess with the apostles because if they're of God, then we're at war with God. Interesting that his mentor would say that. But what we find here is we find this in this passage God does mention one of the most important things about the character of God, his faithfulness. His faithfulness. And if there's anything that we should ever aspire to is, is to have the desire of the faithfulness of Christ. The faithfulness of Christ. He was faithful all the way to the cross. He was faithful all the way to the cross. There's a quote that was said, and basically I'll read it. It says, the Christian life is a, is a life of continued repentance, humiliation for, and mortification of sin, of continual faith in, thankfulness for, and love to the Redeemer, and hopeful joy, expectation of a day of glorious redemption in which the believer shall be fully and finally acquitted and sin abolished forever. Basically, what that's saying is that we, until we have full redemption of our body and we are in that sinless state of perfection, which comes much later, and it's not happening in this life, it happens afterwards in eternity when we get that redeemed body and sin is done away with and death is no more, talking about the end of the book of Revelation, when all that stuff happens, and we're, we're praise God for it, Till then, you know what happens while we're here on earth? We're going to be constantly battling the flesh. And you know what that means? We're going to have to constantly be on our knees, if you will, in prayer, saying, God, please forgive me and be merciful to me. I've sinned. We need to have the mindset of, of David against thee and thee only have I sinned. Create in me a new heart, Lord. Those are all things that should be desired. Those are all things that we should, should, should want to have in this life. And we come across this principle of forgiveness and how faithful God is to forgive. You know, I made the mention this morning about the prodigal. 
how the son, you know, came and was specifically going to say his little prepared speech, and he barely even got the speech out, of it, but got enough to say, you know, hey, I, I, I've sinned, and the father just just forgave him. Just forgave him. But he, 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 here is the important principle of forgiveness. Without that forgiveness, we don't have access to eternal life. We, we, we don't have that access of salvation. If we say we sin, then we don't need salvation. If we don't get salvation, then that means we don't get eternal life. Well, that's a problem. Because the Bible makes it clear, you're, you, you're in one of two places. There's no middle ground. There is no purgatory. There is no limbo. There is no, uh, uh, you know, world where he places people to work it out or anything of that nature. Religion of Islam says that they go to a certain place in hell and, 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 and they can work it out. And, but when they, 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 they purge themselves all their sins, they come out twisted and yellow and disfigured. And then they, then they get to enter into paradise. How is that paradise? I, 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 that, that doesn't make any sense. But what we find here is we find that the Lord says he'll forgive. Without the forgiveness of sins, we would still stand condemned to a devil's hell. That's just as, as clear as it is. Um, and, 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 and we need to, if you will, kind of mark this little notation that, that, that John writes down here of the Lord's character of faithfulness. He talks about it over and over and over again. Turn all the way over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy and uh, chapter chapter 7. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 7, and in verse 9, in this passage, he says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keep his covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The faithful God. You know what that means to me? It means there's also an unfaithful God. The ones that lie to you. The idols that don't really have any power. Anything of that nature. You have the devil over there saying and lying straight straight to the face of Eve. Oh, thou shalt not surely die. Yeah, they did. They died spiritually. They didn't die physically. He just left out that detail. He left out that little thing. Oh, you're not going to die right away. Physically, you will die eventually. But you're going to die spiritually the moment you disobey. Right. Paul reaffirms that over in Romans. Sin revived, and what does he say? What does it say? I died. Sin, taking occasion, slew me. Deceived and slew. That's what sin does. This is why we can't deny this. This is the faithfulness of God. I mean, it goes all the way back here. And there's, there, there's a whole ton of other passages that we can talk about, about God's faithfulness. It's, it's littered throughout the entire scriptures about how faithful God is to what he promised. You know, again, one of the ones that, that I truly love, you know, is, is where he says, faithful is he who calls you, well, who will also do it? God gives you a calling. He's going to enable you to do it. He's going to be there, and it's going to be him that is doing those things along the way, not you. When you try to do it on your own power, it's not going to work out. But God's faithful enough that if he's going to call you, he's going to, he's going to make that happen. He's going to do that. And people forget those type of things. See, God despises sin in such a way and loves us in such a even more wonderful way 
that he has obligated himself to forgive those who seek him and his truth, just like we were talking about this morning. He says right here, if we confess our sins, there's an if, meaning there's a choice. It's predicated upon it. Confession is needed. You go over to Romans chapter 10 and it says confession with the mouth. Confession is necessary. It's necessary to say, yeah, God, I need salvation. It's necessary to say, God, I, I have sinned. I, I've got a problem. I need to get worked out. Lord, I, I need, I need your guidance. I need your help. I need you to correct me. I need you to search me and try me. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He obligates himself to do that. We have a hard time doing that as believers. I don't know why the issue is. I expect the world to be unforgiving. And it's sad when the world is more forgiving than than, than believers are. I've seen people get up... And, and, and again, you know, I, I like to watch court things and I've seen them get up and there's been people that have, have taken the lives of loved ones and people get up there and they'll say horrible things to the person that's accused and they'll say, you deserve to be in hell. People will say, I hate you so much. I hope you rot in hell. People will say, I hope you die a slow, painful death in jail. People have gotten up there and and, and said horrible things uh, to the nature of, I hope you get cancer and it hurts you so bad that you die writhing in pain. And I'm like, at some point in time, if I was the judge, I'd be like, okay, that's enough of that. But I understand why they do that and why they allow it, because they, quote-unquote, gives closure and things like that. But I, it's unwise to say those things, okay? And then you see the old guy get up there. I saw one, and he gets up there, and he's in his suspenders, and it was a high-profile case. He's got the long, scraggly beard, and he gets up there, and he says, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of bad things about you. And they wish a lot of bad things toward you. And he says, I just can't do that. Because that's not what Christ wants. And he says, I forgive you. Aren't you glad God said, I forgive you? That's a principle that we need to understand. And I will tell you, that will bind a principle. Again, is another binding principle of fellowship together. Simple forgiveness. And here he's making it very clear. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, isn't it amazing what the, what the blood of Christ can do and wash us clean? Make us pure. When we talk about salvation and how God sees us, and he doesn't see those things anymore. It's, it's praise God. It's under the blood. And when the accuser comes, well, you know what he did. You know how when he was, you know, this age, he did those things and, and how horrible that was. God looks at the books and goes, all I see is it blotted out. What were you talking about? And it's amazing principle for us to understand that of how faithful God is. And Jesus Christ being the faithful one, being faithful to the cross, being faithful to what the will of the Father was, praise God for that faithfulness. Praise God for that faithfulness. And, and, and again, not only does he, he, he forgive us this way, but the way that he cleanses us. 
Turn, turn to one again. One of my favorite passages, the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Isaiah, chapter 1. I'll point this out, and, uh, and, and, and again, it's one of the reasons why winter is kind of one of my favorite months of the year, favorite, you know, time of the year. But in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Parking lots are ugly. They just look gross. Just black asphalt. But then all that fresh snow and powder comes on, and it makes a parking lot look like a, an amazing, beautiful thing. It isn't, isn't it amazing how that can happen? You can have a ratty old house that just looks like horrible mess. You put some snow on it and a little snowy field that changes the entire mood. And that's the power of the forgiveness of God to cleanse us. It changes everything. But it's a permanent change. It's not temporary. Snow goes away and we get the black parking lot back. But God's blood never goes away to wash us. It is permanently cleansed us from sin. That is something that we as believers need to truly grasp a hold of. Which is why we should desire to live a life that is free from that sin. And look, that's a choice that we have to make. It's a choice every moment we have to make about whether or not we're going to allow sin to have dominion over us again. Those are the choices he talks about in the in the book of Romans. Take a look at the final verse here in this chapter, and we'll we'll close with this. In, in, in this passage, he says in John chapter first John chapter one In verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now there's the implication. There's the implication. You know, sometimes people say say things, but, but I'll tell you this, during a traffic stop, that's not a good time to call a police officer a liar. Just a little word of advice, okay? That's not going to go over well. You're standing in court. That's not a good time to sit there and call the judge a liar to his face. Not going to go in your favor, okay? But even more so, it is never going to go in, 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 in your favor in any way, shape, or form to sit there and say, God, you're a liar. You realize how absolutely satanic that is? Yeah. You go over to the book of Job, you realize that that's what, what, what Satan was trying to do with God? He was trying to make God a liar. Job got caught, if you will, in the crossfire. The devil had convinced himself, deceived himself so much that he thought he could get Job to curse God to his face. That he, if you will, challenged God to take away that protection. Watch what happens. Because God called Job perfect, upright, and eschewing evil. The devil was trying to get God to be proven a liar. And I'll tell you this, I have not found God ever to be a liar. He is not a man that he should lie. The scripture tells us that very clearly, but but here it, it, it makes it very clear and again, you know, if you will, this is an impossible situation where we say if we've sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. We look, 
God's not going to lie. So you know what that means? That means he's truth. It means that we're the liars, as he very clearly said in verse 6, he said, we lie. God doesn't lie, we lie. To deny that we have a sin issue, to deny that we have a problem, and he gets very clear in in the rest of this book, as we get to chapter 2, we get to those the, those verses where he says, uh, you know, love not the things of the world, and he gets into verse 16 of chapter 2, where he identifies three things that are, the, if you will, the, the, the major cause of sin in a person's life. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the world's mentality. That's the world's mentality. This one, he's pointing out, if you will, the satanic mentality, the antichrist mentality, the anti-God mentality. And he says, we need to be careful. Let's deal with sin the way God wants us to deal with sin. God reveals that this prideful mindset here is that satanic one that needs to be avoided at all costs. And, and very clearly, you know, as we look at this, he shows us that, 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 that this thought originates because there is a lack of truth, the word of God, dwelling in us. And I'll tell you, people will try to deny sin. People get caught red-handed, they'll deny it. You just watch some of those, uh, you know, the, the, those shows, those law enforcement uh, clips and things like that, and, and the person's like, oh, I'm not drunk, as there's an open 12-pack of empties on the front seat. The one that, the, the one that gets me is, is, is the, the, the guy that gets pulled over, and the cop is talking to him. He's like, do you have any drugs in the car? No. Do you have any drugs on you? No. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. L- let me ask you again. Do you have any drugs on you? And the camera pans to his right ear. And stuck right behind his ear is a roach, a joint, whatever you want to call it. A doobie. <laughs> Marijuana. <laughs> and he's like, do you want to change that? And he's like, nope, nope, I don't have any drugs. And the cop reaches over and pulls it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Deny it, right? Get pulled over. I wasn't speeding. Yeah, you were. <laughs> It's just, I mean, you know, people will deny everything when they're, when they're caught. Children do it, you know, kind of as an innate nature thing, if you will. Immediately they're, they're fearful of punishment. And the next thing you know is what do they do? They begin to lie about it. You know, did you eat all the cookies? No. Are you sure? Because you've got chocolate smeared all over your face. I'm pretty sure. I didn't eat all the cookies. I ate nine of the ten cookies, and my sister ate the other one. <laughs> oh, so we're going to play legal here. <laughs> Guilty as charged, you know? You know, it just, you know, therein lies the denial of those things. And what happens, and the reason why that happens, is because we have not filled our hearts with the word of God. It's not abiding in us. It's not living in us. It's not where where it makes its home in our heart. And that becomes the necessity of the word of God being there so that we can prevent these things. And again, as he writes in in, in chapter 2, verse 1, we'll we'll look at this. And again, just that first part there where he says, my little children, these things are right unto you that you sin not. He's writing this for a reason, for a purpose. He wants them to avoid the sin. Let's deal with it. Let's confess it. Let's get it taken care of. Let's get it forgiven. Let's get that unrighteousness cleaned. And let's move on for the cause of Christ. Next week, we'll get into chapter 2 a little bit more. 
um, and and uh, really start getting into the meat of some things where we start talking about uh, uh, um, uh, things of this world and the mindsets and the mindsets that can creep into a believer. And I'll tell you this, uh, if there's one thing I've seen, is there can be an ungodly mindset creep into the mind of a believer like that. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. Because it will just tear us down quicker than anything. But let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for this opportunity, Lord, to just uh, study your words tonight. Thank you again for all that you've given to us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you take us home safely tonight. We ponder these things, we meditate upon them, Lord, that we'd hide them in our hearts that we would not sin against you. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us this day. I pray, Lord, that you've been pleased and glorified in all of this. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.